Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe that this message is going to bless your life, encourage you, and strengthen your walk with Jesus. Grab a notebook, a pen, and let's jump right in. All right, good morning. Welcome, everybody. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. Beautiful day outside. We've got beautiful days ahead of us. I checked the weather yesterday. Man, it looks like we are well on our way to no more snow. Come on, somebody. I don't know about you, but that makes me really, really happy. I love this kind of weather. I love this time of year. But thank you so much for being here. Thanks for coming out and and hanging out with us today. Those of you that are watching online, we are so excited that you're with us in person or online in your couch, in your pajamas. But we'd love to see you in person anytime soon. Um, Easter Sunday coming up. Man, it's going to be a crazy day. Make sure you invite people. Grab your invite cards. If you haven't gotten a stack, man, get a stack of those cards, carry them with you everywhere you go, invite people. They say that about 80% of people would come to church if somebody would ask them. And I venture to say that number would be a little higher if somebody asked them to come to church and invites them to lunch. Oh, come on now. You might just be able to get that neighbor that you've been working with. You might just be able to get that family member that you've been praying for. You might just be able to get that person at the coffee shop to come in and and be a part of a church service. And what would happen? What would happen if if the altar call came and they raised their hand and and made a decision to follow after Christ? Come on, wouldn't that be awesome? Man, I'm going to encourage you guys, invite people to Easter. at the Heckard Performing Arts Center. It's going to be incredible. Amen? Amen. One more thing. Thank you to those that made a faith promise to missions this year. Um, I'm expecting more and more cards to come in over the next couple of weeks, so it's not too late to turn in your faith promise cards. If you made a faith promise last year, so you thought, I don't need to redo it this year, please go ahead and redo that faith promise, uh, because we do base our giving to missionaries off of the cards that come in per year. So help us out with that. Fill those cards out. But thank you to every one of you. Man, I saw so many new names and and people that have never been a part of missions here at Encounter Church. Jump on and and be a part of reaching the world for the kingdom of God. So grateful for your heart. So grateful that you have this desire to, to multiply the kingdom of God. Being a servant for him. All right. How many of you are ready this morning for the word of God? All right. We are in a series right now that we are simply calling Multiply. That's our word for the year. If you're new to Encounter Church, let me kind of bring you up to speed. Um, God places a word upon our hearts every year for where we're headed. And man, we felt just unanimously as a board that our vision for 2022 was going to be multiply. Multiply our relationship personally with Jesus Christ. Multiply the church and reaching the lost and, and bringing them in. Multiply our impact in the community as we step outside of these walls and we share the good news of Jesus Christ with those that perhaps have never heard about him or are distant from him for one reason or another. We're multiplying our generosity and that's financially, that's giving of our time and giving of ourselves for the kingdom of God, but ultimately multiplying all that we say and all that we do. Why? For the glory of God Almighty. 
That's our heart. And that's what this series is all about. I, I begin to pray, and Lord, what would you have us to do, God? What does this look like if we kick off the year? And typically we hang out for about six to eight weeks in a sermon series. But I really felt that this time around we had to dive into the Word of God. We're looking at the book of Acts. Why the book of Acts? I'm so glad you asked. The book of Acts reveals to us how we are to respond to this call by God to multiply. You see, one of the very last things that Jesus said to the early believers was go into all the world and share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. Can I just tell you, that's multiply. That's taking the very word that's going from 12 to 120 followers of Christ. That's going from 120 in the upper room that were seeking after him to thousands coming to know Christ at the very first message after the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And we began to see things unfold at a rapid pace. So we realized with the early church that there were things that they had to do in order to accomplish the task that Jesus had laid before them. See, up to this point, a lot of things have happened. They followed the command of Jesus. They went to Jerusalem and they hung out in the upper room. And what did they do there? They began to pray, right? They begin to seek the face of God. Lord, what do you have? What is this promise that Jesus was referring to? And the Holy Spirit consumes and falls upon the room where they are. Things begin to change. Suddenly, those that once had no power or felt that they had no authority with God suddenly had a newfound authority. Suddenly, they grab a hold of the heart that God had for them. And Peter, the very one that couldn't stand up to a teenage girl the night Jesus Jesus was arrested, suddenly is standing before the crowd, and 3,000 came to know Christ that day. Why? What was the change? It was the infilling of the Holy Spirit. It was the outpouring of the power of God. But how many of you know, when we begin to move forward in the things of God, there are times that things get a little messy. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Now, why am I recapping? Because it's been two weeks since we've talked about the book of Acts. And if you're like me, I don't even know what I had for lunch yesterday. So sometimes I need to kind of get a little refresher, right? Anybody else, anybody else like that? You need a refresher from time to time. So here we are. They they began to grow and things began to happen, but they also experienced a little messiness. There was some disgruntled people on the outside that were trying to infiltrate their way to the inside. There were some people inside the church that were causing some issues and God quickly rectified that. And, And then you have those that are griping against another group in the church because they're people people aren't being taken care of and and they're consumed with that and they're uh, over just uh, overwhelmed by that thought of of we're not being taken care of like we need to so this battle began to rage in the church and that brings us to where we are today the early church realized that that there were some things that weren't being accomplished because so much was going on So the Bible says that they chose seven men to oversee a food service. Among those seven was a man by the name 
of Stephen. Now, Stephen was not just a waiter. He wasn't just a distributor of food. The Bible says that he truly was a man of God. He was very knowledgeable about the things of God. In fact, the Bible goes as far as to say he was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, hold on to that. That's going to be vitally important because here in just a few moments, we're going to realize that, that Stephen faces some opposition. And what I want you to do today as we look at the opposition that Stephen has to face, I want you to put yourself in the place of Stephen. How would you have responded in that moment? Now, let me digress just for a moment and do a, a very quick word study with you, if I could. There are two words in the original language that we get our word crown. These two words are used in the New Testament. One is diadema. That means a royal crown. And the second is stephanos. Stephanos is a victor's crown. So we have the royal crown. In other words, the crown that can be passed from generation to generation. The crown that is, that is not earned, but is just given to you because of who you are. And then you have the victor's crown. And, and the victor's crown is the one that you have to earn. It's something has to be done in order to receive that victor's crown. This is where we get the word Stephen, Stephanos. We get our word Stephen. Now, what I want you to understand is this. Even though this word Stephanos, the victor's crown, has to be earned, I don't want you to be confused this morning and think for some reason or another you have to earn your salvation. See, those are two separate things. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. So salvation cost us nothing, cost him everything, cost us nothing. It's a free gift given to us. But in this same realm, the same focus, we must allow our character and our integrity to be built upon the things of God. I want to challenge you, if you haven't listened to the message from week number six, when we talked about integrity, I want to challenge you, go back and listen to it. Or maybe you were here, but you don't remember a whole lot of it. I want you to go back and, and listen to that again. Go watch that service again and let God begin to stir something in you on this idea of integrity. Now, our text today is taken from the book of Titus, chapter 2, the latter portion of verse 7 into 8, and it says this, let everything you do, come on, say that with me, let everything you do, look at your neighbor this morning and say, leave nothing out. Everything you do, that means when you go to Walmart, come on, you got to reflect Jesus. Amen. When you're driving down the road and that person's going 20 miles an hour and the speed limit's 45, come on, I'm preaching to myself this morning. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let everything you do, when your boss is yelling at you, when things aren't going well, when the finances are, aren't there, when you and your spouse are having a disagreement, when struggles are around you, when your teenager wants to do their own thing, but you know that's not the right thing, and there's a battle going on there, let everything you do, come on, let everything you do reflect the integrity and the seriousness of your teaching. 
Now, what is the teaching that we're talking about? We're talking about the very Word of God. Let it all reflect the seriousness of the Word of God. Let me just help you understand something. This is not just a book of great stories. Oh, it is a book of great stories, but it's so much more. See, this is the manual for our life. If you're wanting what to do with something, go to the Word of God. Man, God's Word is a, it's to be a light unto our feet, a lamp unto our path. It's to cut between the bone and marrow, the, the difficulties of life. It's to reveal the things that we need to be revealed. It's to bring us to that place of understanding with the kingdom of God. And now he says in the book of Titus, let everything you do reflect that seriousness. Teach the truth. In other words, be consistent. Come on, have you ever known that person that says one thing but does another? Don't look at the neighbor. <laughs> Some of you just went. <laughs> Man. We, we have this issue sometimes where we, we say one thing because it's easy to say, but we do another because that's just the response. But here he says, take this all very seriously. Teach the truth. You don't know what the truth is? And seek the Holy Spirit. The, whole, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. So that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose you will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. Why does he say us? He was saying you and you and you and you. And now he says us because your actions, your behaviors impact what everyone else thinks about Christians. Well, I don't want to be a Christian because I know so and so. And some people can name the day and the time of the experience and the difficulty they had with somebody that called themselves a Christian. Never allow your life to be somebody's excuse to run from a relationship with God. Let me, let me say that again because some of you need to let that sink in. Never allow your life to be somebody's excuse to run away from the things of God. Man, my heart would shatter if I had somebody go, man, I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to follow after God because that pastor had encountered church. But man, I want my life to multiply for the kingdom of God. I want people to be drawn to the presence of God because of the life that I live. What about you? When I just kind of go through my day, I just kind of go to work. No, 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 no. Your life is so much more than an eight to five job. Your life is so much more than just going through your daily routine. God has a plan and a purpose for you. The Bible says it's a plan that he has developed long ago. Even before you were a twinkle in your mama's eye, God said, I have a plan. Justin, I have a plan for you. There's something I want to accomplish through them. Will you make yourself available? Will you take seriously this calling, this teaching? Will you take seriously this relationship with God? Let's get back to Stephen. What happened to Stephen? Does he go out and, and build the largest food pantry in all existence? No. 
That's not what he does. Oh, I got it. He goes out and he creates a brand new franchise of restaurant that he calls Stevens. No, he doesn't do that either. Well, the Bible says that he began to take a stand for the things of God and the religious leaders of the day wanted to challenge Stephen's spirit-led wisdom. In fact, let me read this to you. Beginning in Acts chapter 6. By the way, we're going to look at chapter 6 and 7 today. In Acts chapter 6, beginning verse 9, it says, But one day some men from the synagogue of freed slaves, as it was called, started to debate with him. They were Jews from Cyrene, Alexandria, Cilicia, and the province of Asia. None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit which Stephen spoke. Now hold on to that for a moment. None of them could stand up against the wisdom and the spirit. What was the spirit that he spoke with? The Holy Spirit. You will receive power, Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. I can't tell you how many times I've quoted that scripture in this series already, but we're going to continue to hear it because that's the foundation. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, here Stephen is, full of the Holy Spirit, talking with the leaders of that day, and the Bible says that none of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit which he spoke. So what did they do? They persuaded some men to lie about Stephen. Come on. They couldn't come up with anything against this man. There was a consistency in his life. Who he said he was is who he truly was. What he said he stood for is really what he stood for. Whether he was here or there or over here or, or back there, Stephen was Stephen no matter where you saw him, no matter what he was doing. So here they were. They couldn't come up with anything against him. They couldn't debate the wisdom and the spirit that he spoke with. So they gathered together a group of people simply to lie about Stephen. They said things like this, we heard him blaspheme Moses and even God. They roused the people and the elders and the teachers of the religious law. So they arrested Stephen and brought him before the high council. The lying witnesses once again stepped up and they said, this man is always speaking against the holy temple and against the laws of Moses. We have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy the temple and change the customs Moses handed down to us. At this point, everyone in the high council stared at Stephen. Why? Because his face became as bright as an angel. And what was happening there? Was he embarrassed? No. No, he was full of the glory of God. He stood in this consistency, allowing the presence of God to consume all that he is. So Stephen has a dilemma in front of him. How is he going to respond to the false accusations? Let me ask you that question also. If you were Stephen that day, 
You had just been out and about doing good, serving food, helping out, and a crowd gathers around you. Some individuals begin to lie about you, making up false accusations. They have now arrested you. Those that are lying follow you to that place, and in front of the courts, they begin to also say, hey, look at this man. He is always doing this. False accusations. How would you respond? What would you say to him? Would you defend yourself? Would you begin to yell back at them? Would you begin to justify your actions by pointing out their mistakes? You see, for Stephen, he began to preach one of the longest recorded sermons in the Bible. He started in the Old Testament reminding the religious leaders of what God had done for this world. And then he reminded them what they had done to Jesus. This made the religious leaders of the day extremely frustrated with Stephen. Yet he did not hold back. He continued to comment about the goodness of Jesus Christ. So what happened to him? Let me read another little section. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 54. It says the Jewish leaders were infuriated with Stephen's accusations. They shook their fist at him in rage. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit. Come on, hold on to that. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing at the place of honor at God's right hand. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their eyes, over their ears, began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. In other words, they took large rocks and began to throw them at him in attempts to kill him. Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirits. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Stephen was faithful in life and faithful in death. There was a consistency in everything he did. He took Titus, which wasn't written yet, but he took Titus to heart. The seriousness of our witness, the seriousness of our teaching, the seriousness of the Word of God, it rang true in and through the life of Stephen. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says this, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. There's that word again. I give you life as your Stephanos. If you're consistent in your life, if you're faithful even to the point of death, I will give you life 
as your Stephanos. That's what Stephen did. He was faithful to the point of death. This man of character, this man of consistency, this man of integrity. The only way that they could find a charge against him, the only way they could say anything bad about him was to find a group of people that were willing to lie about who he was. But Stephen, Stephen knew what he stood for. Stephen didn't back down. And then I'm reminded of 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. There's this guy by the name of Paul, and we're going to talk about Paul a little bit uh, next Sunday. At this point, he was referred to as Saul in this occurrence. But the latter portion of his life, he makes this statement. And now... The prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness. The victor's crown. Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. And I read this scripture and I look at the words of Paul. And Paul says, now there awaits me my crown of righteousness, my victor's crown, my Stephanos. Now, why is there irony here? Because if we kept reading, we find that the coats of the men, the accusers at Stephen Stoning, laid their coats at the feet of this young Pharisee named Saul. We often refer to Saul as Paul. Again, we'll talk about that next week. Paul uses the word Stephanos. Why? Why, why, can, why can Paul use that word? Because Paul had a life change. Paul had a heart change. Man, you're not going to want to miss next week. We're going to find out how, how God can take us from the roughest path to the path that he has in store for us. I want you to know this morning, you're not too far gone. You may be here and you're thinking in your head, well, there's no way that God can use you. There's no way that I'm going to receive a victor's crown. There's no way that I can do any of this because I mess up too much. I've got a rap sheet a mile long. There's nothing I, I want you to understand. God can take you from where you are and bring you to where he wants you to be. That's what he did in in Paul's life. And now at the end of his life, Paul says, now there awaits me. My crown of righteousness, my, my victor's crown. But it's not just a crown for me, but for all who eagerly seek and look forward to his appearing. Are you a man or a woman of consistency and integrity? Are you consistent in your walk with Christ? Are you the same here as you are at home? Or is it the moment you walk through these doors, you put on this false front and make everybody think that you're something that you're really not? See, we're called to take seriously the teaching. I've said this before and I'm going to say it again this morning. We're at a crossroads as a corporate church across America. Let me explain what I mean. 
we're at a place where we must make a decision as a people. Are we going to follow after the things of God and truly be who he's called us to be? Or are we satisfied with just playing church? See, when we look at this text this morning, it says take seriously the teaching. It's drawing a line in the sand. It's saying, I'm not willing to compromise. I'm not willing to allow the world to infiltrate in. But I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to walk this life. Why? It's coming today. We'll stand before God Almighty and, and there awaits you and there awaits me, our victor's crown. Oh, we don't do this to receive a reward, a reward, but that's just kind of the, the fringe benefit, if you would. Paul says, there awaits me this crown, not just a crown for me, but for all who eagerly wait his appearance. So again, I ask you, are you a man or a woman of consistency? A man or a woman of character? You see, your character plays a key role in this process called life. Stephen could have changed his story. He could have gone along with the crowd. He could have given in to the pressure of the day. But he knew the one with whom he served. He wasn't willing to compromise. He was taking seriously the word of God. He knew about Jesus. He knew all about Jesus and was filled with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he allowed the fullness of God to be that which he held tightly to. But then what did he do? He passed that to those around him. He couldn't just say one thing and be another. He knew who he was in Christ. And I believe that something that happened that day caught the attention of heaven. Did you see it when I was reading it a moment ago? See, oftentimes when we hear about Jesus, we hear that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? We've all read that. We've all heard that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. Yet this time, something is different. It says that Stephen looked up to heaven and saw something that we haven't read before. Look what it says. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. I don't know about you, but man, that got me. Here, the, here Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father, and he's watching this situation which, with Stephen transpire. He's seeing the accusation. He's seeing the consistency. It's almost as if Jesus is on the edge of his seat, and he begins to inch up and inch up. How many of you have been to a ball game before, and you get a little bit excited, and you jump to your feet? Come on, I've seen some of you at ball games. I think that's what was happening that day. They're seeing the consistency of this man by the name of Stephen. And Jesus stands to his feet. He's watching what's transpiring that moment. I wonder, has your life 
caught the attention of heaven? Have there been moments in your life, things that have happened, things that have transpired, that have caused Jesus to move from the place of sitting at the right hand of the Father to a place where he's standing beside him? Has your life caught the attention of heaven? Stephen's faithfulness did. And that's what I want to talk about very quickly this morning. I want to give you three traits of a consistent life. Three traits of a consistent life. Number one is this, a life full of grace. A life full of grace. The Bible says in chapter 6, verse 8, Stephen, a man full of God's grace. Now let me ask this question. Why didn't God step in and help Stephen in this moment. If Stephen was such a man of God, if Stephen was a man full of the Holy Spirit, if Stephen was a man full of God's grace, then why didn't God step in in that moment when they were getting ready to throw the stones? Why didn't he push these men back or remove Stephen or step in in that situation? Why didn't he do that? Well, he did. He did step in. He poured out his grace upon Stephen. Now understand this. Isaiah 55 tells us that God's thoughts are not our thoughts, that his ways are far beyond our ways. In the midst of this consistent life, we must be diligent to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Come on, look at that. Even when it doesn't make sense. I asked you a moment ago, how would you have responded if you were Stephen? What would you have said? The the moment they began to cover their ears and, and pick up stones to throw at Stephen, what would you have said? The moment these accusers were making false accusations against you, what would you have done? Well, Stephen, a man full of God's grace, let me show you what he did. Verse 60 of chapter 7 says this, And he, Stephen, fell to his knees and shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. The last thing this man did in the midst of this consistent life, the last thing he did was put the cherry on top of the cake. He said, Father, don't charge them for what they're getting ready to do. God's grace was flowing in and through Stephen. Stephen extended that grace to the crowd that day. Here's what I've come to figure out. You will extend to others what you are consumed with. Come on, let that sink in. You will extend to others what you are consumed with. If you're consumed with hatred, with rage, with discontentment, with bitterness, guess what you're going to extend to those around you? The same. But here Stephen is a man full of 
of grace. It didn't say a man that contained grace, a man that had some grace, but a man full of God's grace. He's consumed with all that God is, and he begins to pass that on or extend that to those around him. How could you do this? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 tells us this. God is talking to Peter, and he says, or to Paul, and he says, my or God's grace is sufficient for you. In other words, it's all we need. I think it's important that we understand whose grace we're talking about, whose grace it is that's sufficient. It doesn't say that my wife's grace is sufficient or your husband's grace is sufficient. It doesn't say that your boss's grace is sufficient. It doesn't even say the pastoral staff's grace is sufficient. It says that God's grace is sufficient. The word grace, by definition, means unmerited divine assistance given humans for their regeneration or sanctification. The word sufficient is enough to meet the need of the situation. So if we take these two words and we combine them together, we get this. There's enough unmerited divine assistance that we are not lacking in any part of life. That's what God's grace is sufficient truly is. It's enough unmerited divine assistance that we are not lacking in any part of life. That's what God makes available to you and to me today. He gives us what we need when we need it. Now don't misunderstand this. It doesn't say he gives us what we want. Because how many you know what we want is not necessarily what we need? Come on, let me say that again. What we want is not necessarily what we need. Remember when your kids were little and they wanted sweets and cookies and ice cream all day long? It may have been what they wanted but it's not what they needed. God knows what you need. He's going to give you what you need when you need it as you lean upon Him. His grace is an unfailing strength that's more than enough. Trade number two is this, a life full of power. Again, chapter 6, verse 8 says, Stephen, a man full of God's power. I wonder, do you have power in your life? Oh, you have power available to you, but have you received that power? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 tells us that the Word of God, the Bible, is alive and powerful. Now think about this. If you are consumed or filled with that which is powerful, guess what you will have in your life? Power. If you're wondering, how do I find more strength to walk a solid Christian walk? How do I find more strength to walk faithful in the things of God? Pour in the Word of God. The Bible says, hide His Word in your heart that you might not sin against Him. It's filling with that power. It's living and allowing it to be renewed inside of you. But here's the deal. We have to allow it to be planted. 
You see, it's not enough just to let it go in one ear and fall out the other side. We have to allow it to take root into our lives and begin to grow. We've got to nurture that relationship. And as we do, our lives become more and more full of the power of God. Then if we take that one step further, we receive a dose of the spiritual fertilizer, the Holy Spirit. We allow that power to suddenly explode. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And now we see in Acts chapter 4 that Peter and John could not stop telling people about the good news of what they had seen and heard. Now Stephen is preaching the sermon of all sermons in the midst of persecution and and lies and facing death's door. And the difference is in each of these situations, these men were filled with the Holy Spirits. Verse 10 of Acts chapter 6 says, None of them could stand against the wisdom and the spirit which Stephen spoke. Stephen knew what he stood for. He wasn't allow, about to allow this power that the Holy Spirit had placed inside of him. He wasn't about to allow it to fade away or, or dissipate. He was to put it to use even in the last moments of his life. In the remaining seconds, his character was consistent. Trait number three is this. A life full of faith. So we have a life full of grace, a life full of power, and now a life full of faith. Verse 5, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. What did Stephen do with this faith? Well, the Bible says that he performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. He put his faith into action. He wasn't about just to sit on the sidelines. Come on, that's easily done, right? It's so easy for us, the church, it's so easy for us, that the people, just to come in and, and sit in a spot and, and fill a hole and just kind of sit there for a while. But that's not where Stephen was. He put this victor's crown into action. He began to do things for the kingdom of God. But how's faith relate to our lives today? Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is the confidence. The confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Faith is visualizing the future in advance. Come on, hold on to that. I'm a vision guy. Man, I can dream a crazy big dream. I can, I can look out here and I can see big things happening. And here that's faith. It's stepping out saying, Lord, I have faith that what you have placed within me, God, will see come to fruition. God, that we will see what you have established in here, Lord, come to pass out there. God, that you're going to do something that we never imagined, but we can see it. It's seeing the future and the presence. I discovered that every great achievement began when somebody saw it in advance. Come on. Every great achievement, it was accomplished. Why? Because somebody saw it in advance. 
I'm not smart enough to tell you how this phone works. But there's somebody that one day said, you know what? I think we can make a phone that we can carry around in our pockets and we're not going to have to have that mile-long phone cord in the kitchen that reaches throughout the house. Somebody had a dream. What are you trusting for today? Here we are with this theme and this mission of multiply. Do we truly believe that God can multiply the church? Absolutely. Do we truly believe that God can multiply our impact in our community? Absolutely. But it's time for us to begin to see all of this in advance. I believe that's the faith that Stephen had. He knew that God's grace would see him through. Moments before they threw the stones at him to kill him, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And he says, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. When opposition comes your way, how do you respond? When there's an opportunity for inconsistency in your life, what are you going to do? Let me ask a personal question. Have you allowed your life to fall into inconsistency? Perhaps it's even to a point that you're living a double life, one thing here, another thing there. It's time today to close that gap to become who God has designed you to be. It's time today to allow the grace and the power and the faith of God that he makes available to you to truly become an active part of your life. But like Stephen, the choice is yours how you'll respond. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you again for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to your life.